So it is, uh, it just so happens that this all falls like this thing about the Feast of Purim falls uh, right before Thanksgiving for us. And so um, kind of to, to kind of guide us to start this morning, I want you, uh, what are you most looking forward or what do you most look forward to the Feast of Thanksgiving, right? What are the things that for you, for your family, that are like these traditional things, we were talking about it before and um, Elizabeth talked about how her family would always have pumpkin pie like for breakfast on Thanksgiving. And like that was something that they looked forward to. And um, Jenny talked about how she liked uh, when they would gather around and, and remember and be thankful together and actually say, I don't know if anybody had to do this. Like we had to do this in my family. It was always really awkward, right? You have to go around the circle. What are you thankful for? And everybody kind of shouts out and some people say dumb things like, I'm thankful for my athletic ability, like that kind of stuff. <laughs> I don't know who says that. Um, like, who's full of themselves to say that enough? Uh, <clears throat> anyway, maybe it's, maybe it's, maybe it's me. Um, but what are you most, like, excited about? Like, we're traveling uh, this week to Danette's sister's house outside of Houston, um, our family used to do this for Thanksgiving. We used to do this with the Nets family. We would meet someplace in Texas, and we'd all go and feast together. We, no one would cook. We'd just show up at some hotel or some restaurant, and it was just, it was like, and it happened when the kids were really young, and it was like lovely. And so part of me is like looking forward to kind of reconnecting with that, at least in spirit, because uh, Devetta and Chris are going all out to like cook for us, and they, they've asked all the kids their menu items and like, like, Everybody's been texting in like these things, and she has like games planned, and um, she's already got the beds laid out with color coded uh, like sheets for the boys to sleep on. Like, like it's extra and it's awesome. Um, but I'm looking forward to all that: the car ride, the, the golf with my nephew. Jaden wants us to look forward to Santa's Winter Wonderland, which she thinks we're going to pay a lot of money to go do, and like all of that, and of course the food, right? Like. Like, when you think about the food of Thanksgiving, what food takes you back and, and, and kind of, like, settles into the recesses of your memory? When you smell it, when you see it, when you taste it. Like, it takes you back to your childhood, your, your home, your, your family, your friends, to a place. And, and that connects us this morning to the why. And that's kind of the big idea here. Why, why do we feast? And we're going to hold that question. I want that to hang over us. Why do we feast? Why do you feast? Why do we practice things like Thanksgiving or other feasts that you and your family celebrate? Why do you do that? Like we celebrate Thanksgiving to be thankful. But why should feasting be a regular part of your life? Now, like if you know anything about me and my time here at this church... Like the one takeaway you should have is that we are a church that feasts, right? Why? Why do we do that? We're going to look at this text today, three questions. What is the Feast of Purim? Where is the Feast of Purim? And back to the question, why? Why this feast? What is the feast? Well, the feast, now the Feast of Purim is not like one of the the seven feasts instituted by the Torah, right? There's Passover, the Passover feast, right? That was instituted by God to remember redemption through blood. 
Blood of a lamb applied to the doorpost. Death passing over Israel because of the blood of the lamb. They were to practice this feast to remember that, to remember God's deliverance, his, the, the angel of death passing over them through blood. There was the feast that attached to that, the Feast of Unleavened Bread. It, it's connected to Passover. It's to remember their hardship in Egypt, how God freed them from captivity, how they had no time for bread to rise, no time for yeast. There's a feast, the, the, the Feast of First Fruits, one of three feasts related to the harvest. Uh, the priest sacrificed the Passover lamb on the 14th day of the month of Nisan, and on the first day of Passover was the 15th, and then the Feast of the First Fruits was celebrated on the third day, the 16th, a third day celebration. Now, think about that in light of Jesus, remembering the firstborn son of the world and the first fruits of the harvest which he gave us through God, namely resurrection. Pentecost, another feast of the harvest. It was 50 days, a time to bring a portion of your harvest and give it back to God, to remember that God is faithful in providing both firstborns and the harvest that follows the firstborn. You were such a harvest of the firstborn of God. The Feast of Trumpets was a feast of God's people to gather and rest and present a food offering to God to remember that God is the one who fights for them and the one who frees them, the Feast of Atonement. Now, we could argue or quibble about was this a feast or a fast, but it was a a day of repentance where animals were given for sacrifice as a covering for the people's sins, marked more by fasting than feasting, but remembering Their sins are forgiven by blood. And then attached to that feast was the Feast of Booths. It was the celebration following atonement. It remembers that God provided and protected Israel in the 40 days of wandering in the desert. There was seven days of feasting where the people would live in temporary structures like they did in the desert, remembering that God is present to them. Tabernacles amongst them. Even there. Even in the desert, he dwells there. So, now Purim is not one of those seven feasts, but we read Esther institutes the feast um, for something to be practiced by Jews throughout the rest of their history. So it connects to these seven feasts instituted by Torah, but for some different reason. And it's a a two-day feast marked by eating and drinking and the giving of gifts. And what do they remember? The day that they got the relief from their their enemies. When their sorrow was turned to joy. When their mourning was turned to celebration. And we read how they remember that the plot against them was this casting of the dice. And the book of Esther is given in part to establish this custom. It's why these days should be remembered, observed, we're told, by every generation in every family, that they should always be celebrated, that that the memory should never die out. So they feast. They feast. And and when they would feast, they would would fast and prepare for the the two days of feasting. Then they they would gather, and the book of Esther would be read to them. And then they would make food and provide food for others, think potluck kind of thing. And then they would give to the poor. So money would be collected in the two days of the feast, and then that would be shared 
with people in and outside the community. And then they would eat the meal, drink the wine. Remember, salvation in some sense in Esther is marked by the drinking of wine by a king. And so wine became a custom to the Feast of Purim that they would drink, often drink a lot. And then there would be costumes. They would disguise themselves as a way of emulating God who is disguised behind the circumstances in the book. They would dress up in some way, mocking their enemies, ending with the the burning of the effigy of Haman. Now notice the connection here between feasting and remembering. Now remember the power that we talked about, about like eating and remembering. The smells, the places, the people, like a good meal with good friends. Like, I'll be honest with you, like that is one of the things I'll miss most about my life with you. Like the times that we've spent together eating and drinking. Like we have traditions and feasts that we celebrate each and every year together. And those things are precious to me. And I will miss them. You are my family. And the good news about this is in that feasting, of, I will remember it. Like I will continue to practice feast, and so will you. And that will connect us in remembrance. Now, some of you have experienced family meals that are beautiful and wonderful, and some of you have experienced family meals that are are hard, traumatic, difficult. And I think what I want to warn you about as you think about this, as we think about this in our, our, our future, is not to get nostalgic. I'm struggling in my own story with my family and being nostalgic. Like, um, not my kids, but with my extended family, my parents. Like, one of the, the things about my family growing up is that we just, we always had a party together. And in the, year, in the most recent years, after the death of lots of my aunts and uncles who I love, and now the deteriorating health of my parents, my mom particularly, like, like it's very easy for me to get nostalgic about feasting and think back to, man, I wish it could just be like it used to be, right? I don't know if any of you all have that problem. You know, maybe you have so much trauma in your background that like you don't want anything about what it used to be. But for me, like... That's something I think about. And this is a temptation that you're going to feel, a tension, as, as time passes along. Like, the temptation to think back to the way we used to feast when I was here and how, it fe- how we feast together now. And, and I want you to know that that's, that's a reality of, like, remembering. Like, remembering is looking back to God's like faithfulness to us in the past. And, and we feast, we celebrate to remember, to mark it. God wants you and I to mark time together through feasting together. That's what Purim is about. The why of the Purim, I'm skipping ahead. The why of the Purim is like for you to remember God's faithfulness. And, but it doesn't stop there. It doesn't land on the past. 
Like nostalgia is always this thing we're, we're longing to. It's the pain of an old wound. Like you're feeling the wound in the now because the past is gone. And you get nostalgic. You want to go back, go back, go back. And there's nothing back there for you other than remembrance that points you forward to a future. Purim is connection to God's deliverance in the past, but it's also setting Israel's attention on a future to which God will continue to redeem them. They they practice it year after year after year. Why? To remember what God's done, but also to look forward that God's going to continue to keep his promises, be faithful to them in the future. And every feast that you do, City Press, together is meant to connect to that part of the story. Your redemption. Like, you've been redeemed. Israel was redeemed. All the feasts were to remind them of the redemption they've experienced in God. To connect them to that story. But it calls them out to bless to be a presence in the world, to be faithful in practicing that feasting and inviting others into it. The beauty of Purim is that it was meant to invite outsiders in through the giving of gifts, through offerings, through, through blessing other people. They are, they are meant to be, they're blessed to be a blessing. Their redemption is meant to be utilized in the world for other people's redemption. And so, as, and then it aims to the future. Now, the thing about us as Christians is that the beauty of our story is that it happens with resurrection in mind. Like, the beauty of all of the feasting that we do here is that it's connecting to the last feast. Now, every time we do communion together, I remind you of this. This is a feast, small as it is. Like, I've in- instituted shot glasses and bigger chunks of bread just so you kind of get a, a bigger flavor, like, for this. Good port, good wine, sweet rolls. Like, I want you to understand that this small token is something, something much bigger that is to come. And, and, it, and it's going to be when we feast with Jesus. So, so... Now hold this for a second, right? The reason nostalgia has no place for you and I is because there is a future that is bigger and wider than any feasting that we do together. Right? And and that's what we look forward to. Like in my going, that is something to hold on to. Ryan Davis tells me this all, almost every time we talk on Marco. Man, I look forward when there won't be any more goodbyes. I can't wait for that day. Like, that's what our feasting is pointing to. Like, resurrection. Because of Jesus' resurrection, death has been conquered. Sin is no more. Our feasting is a feast forever. And so every time we celebrate a feast here, it is touching a redemptive past and a future without suffering, without sin, without death, right? And we live in this tension of that. So, um, and the, the, so 
So the why of feasting is so that we remember, that we experience our redemption, that we understand resurrection, and the the where of it is like the beauty of the where is it can happen wherever. Like when this feast of Purim was instituted, like the Jews weren't free. They were under occupation of the Greeks. Right? They are running for their lives again. Now think about that for just a second. What does that look like when your circumstances don't bind you to only feasting when things are good? To only trying to like be joyful when you're free from those things? Like the story of the Jewish people is one of a continuous suffering and loss. And the church enters into that story. We are engrafted into that story. And that story is also our story. Where circumstances don't dictate to us our feasting. Think about Passover. When was it instituted? The Jews are wandering. They just left Egypt and now they're in the desert and God's reminding them what they've been redeemed from and you're going, to what? To eating sand in the desert? To manna every meal? Right? That's the temptation when our circumstances start to block us from the blessing, the promise. And feasting is meant, intentional feasting is meant to bring us back, to remember. Now, I'm going to finish with these two things. I'm way off my notes. This is really, this is a gift for you. This doesn't happen very often. Like, I'm a pretty manuscript-driven guy, right? So, two things, practicing Sabbath and practicing feasting. Like, my charge to you, and the charge of Esther, by the way, as people of the risen Christ, is the importance of fasting. Like, y'all are so, like, busy. You have young kids that are running you around, ragged. Um, And you need the practice of rest. Like what the gospel calls you to because of Jesus is it calls you to a practice of like giving up your, your need to control, your, your need to make something of your life and yourself. It, it's a call to stopping and to resting and, and receiving from God what you could not do on your own. And the, the Sabbath is just the, the rhythm of that reception. You, you gather to worship, you, you stop pursuing the things where you're making a name for yourself and justifying yourself, and you receive the justification of God through Jesus. And, and you gather to worship, and oftentimes, and I know how it is on a Sunday. Like, man, I'm, I don't know if I want to go. I got, I'm tired. I had a busy week and weekend. And then, you know, the thing about church is often we, we get there, and then something happens. And you're like, man, I, I'm really glad I went. And that's a beautiful thing about Sabbath thing, is that we don't know the rest that we need. We don't know the need of the worshiping body that we need. And so there's this moment to like, of awareness when you're sitting here and going, man, I, I needed that. The Lord visited me, whether it was through the songs or the prayers or the elements or, or your kids being taught and cared for. Like there's things that happen and you're like, oh man, I'm, I'm thankful for that. Um, 
I'm glad I pushed the pause button. I'm glad I got off my phone for a second. I'm glad I experienced quiet so you could rest. And all of that sets up, like Sabbath is, should also be for feasting. Like if you don't do that, I would encourage that to be a part of what you do. Like our family, you know, goes out, does like buys out, goes out to eat most Sundays, and it's part of our feasting ritual. It's a way to be thankful, a way for us to eat things that we enjoy and like. Some of you, you know, you grew up where it was like Sunday lunch, and mom put on the the roast, or grandma put on the roast, and you know everybody gathered, and it was like this thing. Um, I know that's not everybody's story, by the way. Like, I know even by mentioning this, there is an ache that some of you feel because that's not your story. And yet, Sabbath calls you into something else to remake that part of your story. It's the beauty of it. So I just would encourage you. I think that what Esther institutes in Purim is this feast for the Jews to experience remembrance and being remade as the people of God. And that's what the Sabbath does for you. Second, I would encourage you to practice feasting. Like, think about other ways to enter into the feast. You know, we do things here. We do a big, fat Tuesday party every year as we kind of prepare for, for the, like, Lent. It's, it's not like, uh, let's go make, beat ourselves into a drunken stupor. But it is to, like, like, mark the moment. Like, we are celebrating as we enter into the 40 days leading up to uh, Lent. And some of you deny yourself in certain ways and fast, which there is a place for fasting. It's not just always feasting. We're called to fast. Um, Remember when Jesus talks about this, fasting creates a hunger for God. Like the disciples won't always, you know, just feast, that they will be called to fast when when I leave, Jesus says. Why? So their hunger for God grows. So there's a place for that. And so we prepare for that in Fat Tuesday, and we celebrate at Easter with a big resurrection, a type of feast. And we have montanzas and pork and brews, and that's been the tradition here. But I want you to think about that for your own sake and for the community's sake going forward. What, what, what kind of feast is God calling you to, to remember? To remember God's faithfulness to you? your family maybe like in spite of your circumstances to like I need to remember like that's one of the beautiful things about feasting is like it's it's when you are in places of really like difficulty that it might be the exact time you need to feast right like that's the time to mark out a space and a season for your feasting because man there's so many things that are tempted to make you forget God's goodness and faithfulness and your need for community, right? So Esther kind of leads us on this journey. Like the really, the book is written as a, like a handbook for the Feast of Purim. And so the appropriate way to end this is like right into Thanksgiving for us. And my challenge to you is like to enter into this feast, not nostalgic, not longing for something, but looking forward to something and being present to what God might do as you gather around family and friends, as you eat together, as you remember his faithfulness to you, as you practice Thanksgiving, and then let that rhythm be a part of your everyday life. Man, this was not the sermon I thought. Let's pray.
God, we, uh, we're so thankful for the ways that you've allowed us to be a church that feasts together. I, I can recall meal after meal that we've been able to share together. Whether individuals or together, in city groups, buyers, beans, and rice, let's go. Like, wherever it might be, like, there's been these moments for us that we've shared of, of celebrating your kindness to us, uh, the relationship that you've drawn us into with you and with one another, and we are super thankful for that. And I pray that, uh, yeah, as we, we would look back with that with a deep fondness, a remembrance for, like, you, You are this faithful God who allows us the space, the resources, the shared resources to feast together. What a gift it's been. But also, I I pray that you would help us as we kind of like look forward, both to like resurrection, like this table we're about to share together right here is only one we share on until a better table is given that's more substantive, that's more full. Like many people have walked through here and set, have been around these tables that aren't here. We miss them. We long for their presence. And yet one day you will bring us into fullness, your fullness and each other's fullness in ways we've never known. And so I pray you would help us to look forward and then hold that intention in the days ahead for City Press that we will be a people that feast continually together, but, but not in some weird, uh, wrong-headed, nostalgic way, but in a hopeful way of the future, in a remembrance of the past together. So help us, God, man. I, I, I know I need it. I know we need it. These are hard days, and yet beautiful ones, because you're calling us into something new. So bless us and help us, God, as we Enter into that, we pray. Even as we come to the table this morning, we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.